9.33 exactly. It is Views and News Little 12 with me, Clarence. Uh, and of course, your voice notes on 072-567-1567. Your calls on 021-446-0567. Joining us just after 9.30, Mondays through to Thursdays, is Barbara Friedman with Barb's Wire. And she's here to tell us about the things trending on social media. Welcome, Barbara. Morning, Clarence. It's good to have you always. Great. Um, and you're wearing your denim shirt as yes. well. Yes. I love kind of sorted denim. today. Yeah. I love denim as well. I've got a cupboard full of denim. Manga sutu putale. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of controversy around the man. There's a lot of controversy currently online. See, he died on Saturday, and there are many views about his legacy. We saw Mondli Mokanya posted, I mean, wrote an article in the City Press that was had a headline. I'm sure the headline was written by the sub-editor, but nevertheless, Truth of Butelez's Murderous Legacy. Some people saying that was like one of the heaviest headlines they've seen in a long time in this regard. And, you know, Mondli has always been very clear on his views around um, Butelezi. But, you know, it just made me think a lot. I was thinking this morning, and that's why I'm talking about it. You know, these these figures if, in political history are always, they're not one thing or the other. Um, his history is littered with a lot of very problematic actions. I mean, not least of which is that he was the head of one of the Bantustans of South Africa, which was a founding core of what apartheid uh, strategy was all about to you know take away the few little rights maybe left for black people in South Africa you know and in the 70s form these homelands these bantustans as they were called and um you know so that you were no longer even if you lived and worked in an area of South Africa your your passport your um, home was in KwaZulu or in Siskai or in Venda and it was I mean, quite the most diabolical scheme. And I just remember being, you know, younger and especially in the early 80s at university studying the history of the system. And just as a young person who'd grown up, obviously, in a, you know, white suburb um, in Cape Town, completely like, you know, the layers peeling off my eyes to understand how this regime had systematically come up with a scheme to, to um, you know, to deny black people their home in their rightful country. So it's so hard for me to ever have completely reconciled the fact that Butelezi, you know, was such a big figure in that, in that, in that scheme, that system. You know, others argue he was working from within. He was doing what he felt he could to fight apartheid from within the system. But again, you know, like when F.W. de Klerk dies, you know, he did, he had a lot of blood on his hands. He also went to the negotiating table. You know, do we write them off? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think everyone has, we are not one thing. Yeah, no, I, 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 I hear you. And uh, <laughs> yesterday I was supposed to have a conversation about this legacy. And people um, didn't want to go there. They said it's not time yet. Well, that was the other thing. Yeah. Which So we there have been some interviews on the radio, 702 and uh, Cape Talk, about, about this, exactly your point. Yeah. And we were chatting on the, in the online department here. And I said, you know, it's like when the Queen died. You know, uh, Queen Elizabeth. I remember one of the the people in the in the team was like, you know, let's let's do an article about you know the Cullen and Diamond and the evils of colonialism. I was like, could you let her 
rest in her grave before we start critiquing. And it's the same with any death. I think breathe, give it a moment, and then I don't think the critiques are out of place. I just think that, I don't know, maybe I'm just being con conservative here yeah no, I, 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 it's I, a difficult i don't have an answer to this but it's something that we must discuss when, when the time is right uh, let's bury the man let's show respects but then let's look at the legacy and i'm sure there's good and we have absolutely no doubt there's a whole lot of bad i think in gunyama trust as well he's got his his hand in there taking the country back to feudalism a lot of a lot of, of so many other issues as well aside from the the sort of late 80s early 90s you know, in Carter Freedom Party violence with the ANC and the hundreds and hundreds of people that were slaughtered in the hostels, mm. you know, the, the the long history of apartheid and the social Let's fabric. have that conversation when the time is right. Because <laughs> you and I are going to go on I and know, on. But, it, it, you know, one has to think about these things and, and be honest. Yeah, I agree. Okay, next up we've got... Um, <laughs> it's an odd story. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to try and explain it, if I can get it right. The Boeing CEO. Yeah, so okay. the Boeing CEO, this is in the United States, He's um, he took over the position of, uh, his name is David Cal Calhoun. He took over being Boeing CEO just before the pandemic in January 2020. So I suppose was kind of working from home for the first portion of his tenure. Um, but Boeing, like many other companies, now wants everyone to return to the workplace. And um, he says he's not relocating from the town that he lives in, which is called New Canaan. And he flies into work on a private Boeing jet. <laughs> and the, you know, there's a huge amount of pushback and, and outrage about this. Because people are saying, well, first of all, in terms of environment, I mean, should we, should private jets even exist? I just don't even see why people can't, if you like that wealthy, fly in one of those pods on a normal plane. Like, why are individuals actually jetting about in the sky on private jets? Just think about it. You know, in terms of like the kind of amount of resources and environmental footprint that you are creating. But aside from the fact that he, the whole workforce is being forced to go back to work and he's commuting from his home in a private jet and that has just caused a whole lot of discussion about it. And I was thinking this as well. Like, you know, when they, you know, we should be eating local produce during seasonal produce. Like, you know, eat strawberries in summer. You know, don't go and buy the outrageously expensive strawberries um, from a local supermarket that have been imported from the UK. In the same way as why do we employ people who aren't living in the town or aren't able to relocate to the town where the head office or the headquarters are? Are we also indispensable in eight, the eight billion people on this planet? I know that's just my view. I mean, why do people get that sort of, why do people need to like commute from Cape Town to Joburg or from New Canaan to wherever the headquarters are? You know what I mean? Like, well, from why Earth can't you Mars? use locals? <laughs> why can't you just like use locals in your in your own local yard? Yeah, the same as you should be eating, you know, oranges in winter and nectarines in summer. And the, and Is that being ridiculous? I think the jury's out still uh, on whether we can have a productive virtual business and virtual is, yeah. economy. Um, but the trend is always going to be there. 
No, I mean, I'm not. Listen, I think if you work online, can I say, I mean, if you work online for fully remotely, and I know there are media organizations now that are fully online, they've never yeah. had to go back to the office, they work perfectly. One lives in New York, one lives in Joburg, one lives in wherever. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that is perfectly acceptable. But I think if you kind of put all your workers in a factory, then I think your management needs to kind of be there. Or, or, yeah, your productive stuff, your production stuff. It's hard. Um, when you're the CEO of Boeing, yes, this is not just uh, business stuff. No, sure. This is political stuff so, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's basically does hundreds of trip, trips to and from the office in his yeah, private and, and around jet. the world as well. I'm sure. Sure, but a lot of them are also just to the office from his home. You yeah. don't think it's such a big deal? I. Uh, That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I think he can work from home, but I I think it's always necessary from time to time for that, for that for that. It's a culture physical for me. interaction, I guess. Okay, next up we have a dog story. A dog story? And it's a cute illustration. Well, okay, so we covered the story online in, was it in June? It was a couple of uh, months ago, July. It was in July. Um, at the time, um, the SPCA spokesperson Belinda Abram was on our, I think it was on Lester's show, talking about this incredible story of one of their inspectors. Lee Prince, who had responded to an incident where they believed there was a dog buried alive in Delft in a in a in a sand in a sandy sand air, sand area, and despite his heart sinking and thinking he wasn't going to rescue the dog, he dug the dog doggy out. Mm. It was an Alsatian, a German Shepherd, and that was nearly two. Well, that was two months ago. And the SPCA, the Cape of Good Hope SPCA, has now published an update on the story. They've called the dog Courage, which is a fitting name for the dog. Um, he does have some health issues. He has to be on medication for his arthritis and other things. They have raised quite a lot of money to help him. He's doing great, like he's very well, but they are desperate to find the boy a forever home. And he looks and kind of docile as well. He is, they say he's very friendly. They do want him to live on his own, be an only dog for now. Mm. I think it's just that he's had a very troubled past. And they are really, really reaching out to all of you out there listening. If someone can give courage a forever home, this boy really has been through a lot and he prevailed and they're just saying you know from buried alive to brave survivor courage really deserves a forever home and i'm just oh if there's anyone out there that maybe just wants one own an only dog and is prepared to give this boy a chance uh you know contact the SPC cape of good hope spca belinda is i just chatted to her before on whatsapp and she said they're still looking for a home for him and uh, I know she'd be ecstatic if someone put their hand up. Walid is uh, whispering in my ear. Walid Ajua, one of our producers here. Uh, he says Wendy's probably interested. Yes, I have no doubt I'm going to get a phone call. Wendy, no. <laughs> I don't know if he'd get on with your little pooch. Yeah, and it needs to be it needs to be a single kind of dog. They're just right? saying for now. They're not sure forever, but for now they think it should be he should be a one dog home. You know, in a one dog situation. Um, he's adorable. There are videos of him running around on the grass. I mean, he looks amazing compared to when they found him. Those original rescue pictures, he was just an absolute, in a terrible state. 
And I know it's just one dog, but you know what? One one dog, one person at a time, we make a difference. Yeah, I, I, and I think they've chosen the right medium to find a home for courage. Yes, Cape Talkers. I think we know you love dogs. Are, yeah. <laughs> right here listening to you <laughs> at this moment in time. Barbara Friedman and Bob's wife.